and welcome, welcome to Memoirs of Successful Women. Today I am interviewing the beautiful Ayudi Udima, who is the founder of Proppy. It is a business real estate um, business and she's going to share all about that. And we're also going to be talking about purpose and values and, and most excitingly, what the chapter is that she's going to be writing in uh, our upcoming anthology called A Woman's Guide to Business Domination. So a little bit about Ayumi. She has had an amazing path of discovery, really, through many cultures and countries of the world. And over time, her attraction to solving the unsolvable has become stronger and stronger. And I absolutely love that. Don't you just love making the impossible possible? Totally love it. And that's why I have connected so wonderfully with Ayumi. She's got deep roots in healthcare. She actually started off as a pharmacist. And most recently, she was the managing director of Blackmores. She's held general management and senior global positions at Bayer's in Japan, Southeast Asia and the USA in consumer health and pharmaceuticals. And she successfully started and e-commerce business models as well. So welcome to the program, Ayumi. Thanks so much for having me, Annie. It's exciting to be here. Well, it's such a joy. It's such a joy to just catch up. We just get excited about seeing each other. But um, I'm super <laughs> excited, as you know, about um, the upcoming anthology. So let's just start right in there. Uh, a Woman's Guide to Business Domination. What are they going to hear from your chapter? Or what well, are they going to... They're going to read or hear, yeah, a few little micro stories, I guess, which go back quite a long way and back to when I was in my very early 20s because I would say my early 20s were some very formative years for me that have given me experiences that I have been able to carry forward all the way until now. And, you know, the things that you go through in some of those early years are the things that toughen you up for later and you need that um, when you go through newer experiences as you go. Um, but I think the big part is my exposure to so many different cultures early on has really given me the opportunity to look really hard at others' perspectives and how they think. And it's been very interesting because sometimes it's a bit of a slog to um, get to the root of why people think a certain way or why people behave or why they might not agree with you, especially when you're in, in sort of, like I found later in life, in corporates, bigger corporates, and you're trying to bring everyone on the journey. Um, but it becomes really, really rich when you can get in under there. So there's a little bit of that in the, the stories um, and the things that I've lived through um, and how all of that has kind of all converged to where I am today and what I'm doing. And it's always really amazing to find all these little paths that you take all end up coming back and crossing together and helping you down the track and you never know right like sometimes you never know why you're doing something um or what it's going to lead to and you may not know for years until it kind of comes back and you realize why that experience was so useful and um and enlightening at the time so yeah there's a little bit of my history in there and yeah the, the parts I've, I've been on I love that. And the whole book is going to be like that. That's why I've reached out to, I think, 25 ladies who are all going to be writing chapters like Ayumi has, and they're actually going to be sharing their journey. It's going to be so rich in testimony because, you know, that's right, it is those journeys that some of them you expected, some of them are completely a surprise, some of them are painful, <laughs> some of them are just very challenging going, what am I doing here? And I love it the way you get to the end of that journey in sometimes a very different space, which is where you are 
now and you go you know what now I'm looking back when I've now I've got through all of that pain and challenge it actually is amazing that that has strengthened me or equipped me or grown me in ways that I could never have done before right so we don't wish it on us but it's certainly necessary to evolve and grow do you think that now when you look back you needed to go through those little fiery moments yeah and I think those moments motivate me even more now than before more than ever because um you know I I now that I've sort of gone out and started this prop tech business um doing it alone because we're in the early stages is a lot more isolated than I thought it would be. You know, when you're in a multinational and you might be starting up in a new market, and even though it can feel like there's a ball and chain there and you've got to get alignment with everybody and get everybody's buy-in, you still always got this camaraderie and you're always working with a team. But when you're starting a startup, you don't have that, right? And I have to say, I underestimated how much I would miss that. And so it, it does remind me a lot of the time um, when I first landed in Mexico, there's lots of similarities. I, I lived in Mexico for about three years and I landed there when I was about 22. And um, it was one of those decisions where everybody said to me, you're crazy, why are you quitting your job? The world's your oyster, you've got a great job in a hospital. Why would you Why would you do that? And I was just so hungry for the richness of the experience and discovery. Um, and that wears off after time, you know, you give it a good six months and then things, reality can start to kick in, right? Yeah. The toughness of learning a new language, not having a job, not having the visa, <laughs> you know, I was on a holiday visa. And so when I think about all those experiences I had then, which was difficult, like you had to maintain a positive lens and just keep going, right? Um, yeah. And learning a language is a slog, right? So that's, I would say, one, I think it's one of the toughest things you can do in, in life. Yeah. Um, so having those sorts of experiences behind me, I, it helps me to be able to look back on that and go, no, this is not as hard as that. Like, th this we can do. What's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> an into perspective, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a really important point, and I know I find that a lot with those in my startup and scale-up programs, but that's it. When you've left the court, you've often left for a reason, that you're sick of being told what to do, you feel like people are moving too slow, you feel like they're not responsive enough or you just want to chase more money and whatever the motivations are, it can be very lonely when you first actually move away from that. You're not in the first few months, like, you know, even for you to you reason to get dressed in the morning and get out, you know, like to get yourself going. It can be a real loss. It's, it's hard to explain what that's like. Yeah, I think there's the, the the plus side of it though, right? And the one thing I do love and find very liberating about starting a company is you are entirely 100% customer focused. So mm. everything you do is for the customer. It's not for your boss. It's not for internal reporting. It's yeah. not trying to drag people along who don't want to come along. It's 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 purely for the, the customer. And that's the first thing. The second thing is, to compensate for not having that team around you, what I find myself doing is being much more, well, I act much more like an extrovert than I've ever done before. <laughs> so I'm reaching out to people, I'm making connections, I'm open to meeting people and and really going on the philosophy of you just never know where a conversation is going to lead. And yes. people have been so kind at making introductions for me and often sort of said to me, oh, you need to meet this person because I think, you know, you have this in common and you might be able to do this. And inevitably what I find is when I do meet them, 
what we find is the common ground or something that we could do together is totally different from maybe what that other person thought. But yes. it leads to a new road and I find that really interesting. And when you're caught up in that corporate, I actually do love the rat race, by the way, but when you are mm -hmm. in that corporate um, life and you're turning through nine hours of meetings a day and trying to squeeze in actual work in between and just trying to get everything done, you know, I was not very open to meeting new people because I just simply did not have time, right? Mm -hmm. I was just trying to get the job done. So it's been really nice to be in a position where I can answer my phone. <laughs> Like I'm not in meetings all day. And when yeah. my phone rings, I wonder, oh, I wonder who that could be. And it's always a surprise. And it's always something that's connected to property and it leads somewhere, right? Um, so that's actually been quite, quite enjoyable. So I will say going out on my own has brought out the inner extrovert in me because I'm not actually an extrovert. <laughs> <laughs> but once again, you, you can be not naturally, but you can acquire those skills just because one, they're necessary. Um, sometimes you've had more of that in you, but you haven't had to activate it, right? It's kind of like, well, I've been comfortably an introvert and, and that's never been required for the roles that I've had. But now suddenly that's right. You don't have to be an extrovert to be an entrepreneur, but you certainly have to be able to, you know, connect and to reach out and to make mm -hmm. things happen because they're not going to then happen to you just naturally. Yeah. I often reflect in that when you're in the work environment, that's it. You've got projects that you're connecting with people for the specific projects that you're doing, um, the contracts that you're trying to gain, but they've been predetermined. Whereas mm -hmm. here, that's right, we could be on LinkedIn today. Like I had a lady contact me after this morning's uh, podcast uh, episode and saying, oh, my gosh, we're in that a similar space. I loved your podcast. I'd love to reach out. And then you suddenly go, oh, it's up to me to then say, hey, yeah, let's, let's, let's meet up and find out where the similarities are. And you don't know. I agree. Isn't that... I find that exciting. Other people yeah. don't like it, but I think it's actually really exciting going, who's to, who's to know who is this person on the other side, right? Yeah, it is amazing. You meet amazing people around every corner and it's, um, yeah, it's always really, really interesting to see where things are going to lead. You know, I think it's if you've got, you've got to give yourself the time and space to be able to do that though because life's busy for everyone, right? Um, so it's <laughs> yeah, well worth it. <laughs> Exactly. Now, you have started a property business in a pandemic, right? So you're a very yeah. brave woman. That's one thing I do know going, wow, totally brave. You obviously didn't predict that when you were setting it up. Yeah. But timing, you know, if you survive this, you survive anything would be my perspective. How has that been? What have the challenges been when, you know, the, the environment is completely against you in a way? Or, or yeah, yeah, I don't feel like it has been. Okay, it's been against me in some ways, but not in others, right? So I think, um, you know, being in lockdowns here in Sydney, it was right when we were in lockdown. So when I left Blackmoors, it was just as we were in that longer stretch last year. Um, and it was actually funny because it was like lockdown plus transitioning to 100% working from home. And I've always been a going to work every day type because I liked to be able to see everybody. Um but that combination actually worked well because I could just buckle down and get everything up and running and, and do things. And I found going into a whole new industry, so going out from sort of healthcare and into real estate where I had no connections really, um, people were very generous with their time and I found people much more accessible through COVID. And look, I, I don't know, I, I just, I just, I have felt like people have been much more accessible 
and I've been able to just talk to people and pick their brains, um, build relationships that I don't know if I would have been able to do that in a normal face-to-face -face environment. So yeah, that has worked. Yeah, I feel like that has worked in my favour. Of course, the thing that hasn't worked in my favour is when everyone's locked up in the two biggest states in Australia, they weren't able to do home inspections and buy yeah. property. Um, but in any case, because what we're starting here is such a new idea because it's all about a co-ownership platform, which is a new way to get into the market. Well, it's not a new way. It's a new way that's tech-enabled and it hasn't been accessible for most people unless you know how to set up a company yeah. or a trust to them by property, right? So it's about making it accessible. Um, because that takes time anyway, it's not like the doors would have opened and everyone would have rushed to go and buy property in this way. It yes. takes time. So I don't think we've missed anything, but it has given probably maybe, I mean, maybe people have also been online more and been more receptive to actually exploring the site more than if they were going to work every day during that lockdown period. So um, I don't feel like it has worked against me, to be honest. I think the timing was quite good. Yeah. Fascinating perspective. And um, I know that in other ways that I've experienced, it's right, because people are home or because people have been on Zoom all the time and not not um, doing the commute or not doing the business that they're usually doing, that's right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can be actually the luck, you know, that you go, oh, my gosh, this person just gave me half an hour, an hour, when normally to try and get them in on a busy day, yeah. or they would have all of those competing forces. So that's mm -hmm. right. Sometimes it can be absolutely a win. For those listening in, just explain a little bit more about what property is then. How does that work? And, and my question to you is, were you the one who influenced the latest TV network show on home ownership from those five you know that show that's come out oh yeah no <laughs> and i'm like no. that is proper. <laughs> it is you know what that is proper. so okay so that was the channel 10 five rooms series yeah. right um yeah. so let me come back to that um so what proper is it's a mortgage sharing matchmaker platform so what we aim to do is to create a new stepping stone for millennials to get into the property market so the problem that we have, um, which I, I'm sure everyone's across, but property is so ridiculously expensive now that it has grown at 11 times um, wage growth. And there's all these numbers and stats, right? So it's just things like the average property is now 10 times the average salary. And if you, the banks are only going to lend between six and eight times the average salary because they like to cap that multiple, um, then you can't the average average is not going to be able to get in right which means you need to be buying with someone and what i've been seeing a lot is couples buying um together but it ends up quite messy right and everyone probably knows someone who's bought a property with somebody and it hasn't worked out and so what this is it's a platform to help people buy together buy smartly meaning there's a whole legal framework around it so there's co-ownership agreements it's very clear who owns what who pays what how decisions are made through the ownership um and how you exit as well so you can sell your share when you want to mm -hmm. and so it, the online platform is almost like the shop front for it yeah. but behind that is the entire operational flow so we hook you up with everybody you need to complete a property purchase with somebody so we've got the lawyers teed up the mortgage broker if you need a buyer's agent if you need someone who can negotiate for you on your behalf um we've got all of that set up in the back end and even for post settlement you know we recommend strongly that you appoint a property manager so you've got yeah. if one of you is living in it and the other is say the investor um, that you have your annual rental reviews that there's regular inspections and those property managers we've got three that are lined up 
they all have different propositions, but what we can do is split now all of the financials to each landlord. So if you think about it, until now, it's always been one landlord, one property, multiple tenants. Yeah. Um, property managers have not been able to, through their IT systems, split to multiple landlords. But we've worked with a couple now who are able to do that, right? So if you and I bought together, Annie, um, and we had a tenant in there or if you lived in there, everything could be split so you never have to chase me for the plumber's bill and I never have to chase you for your bit of the rent or anything like that. So the whole premise behind property is around independence. So you've got financial independence, but you're doing it together and yeah. you don't need to interact with each other on anything financial. Um, so that's kind of what it is in a nutshell. So it, it aims to be a stepping stone to help people get into property sooner. So you're not waiting like in Sydney, it's 15 years of saving time on average to get into a property. Yeah, it's a long way. It is totally ridiculous. And with as a mum of five young adults, oh my gosh, like it is just such a challenge and it's a regular conversation to all of us. I love the whole business model too because it makes it so much easier when issues do pop up. And, and that's right, when, when you're a couple, um, then you've got a lot of complexities and the ownership is very personal. Whereas the way you've set this up, whether it's two people who are friends, mums and mums and daughters, brother and sister, whoever, you know, you're actually doing it as an agreement. And so it's mm -hmm. easier to do those, you know, redistributions and, and management process. I absolutely love all of that. So fantastic. What were the biggest challenges then for you as a, you know, you're, you're obviously a natural entrepreneur, the way you've approached this and you've got all those tendencies that you You've always through even throughout your career even though you've been in corporate you've seeked out different places different cultures to learn in different people's responses to things mm -hmm. doing things differently which is obviously a wonderful trait for an entrepreneur but you've gone from being a pharmacist and in a healthcare industry to uh, opening up a whole into a whole new industry what were the biggest challenges there i think the biggest one in getting off the ground um was finding the right lawyers who would work with me in a way like many lawyers said yeah yeah we'll do this for you but I could see they didn't love the concept and <laughs> there was risk all over it so coming back to the, that tv series right and if it's on tv there's drama so it was very entertaining you know our aim is to, to not have drama so so when yeah. people say oh it's like that tv show yeah it's like that but without the drama so it's actually really boring right and that's the aim right yeah and the, the difference in that one was they all live together and you know what we're really advocating is ideally matching owner occupiers with owner investors so you've got that complement Yes. And so to then think through what are all the disaster scenarios? Because if you run this idea by someone, well, if you'd run it, you know, it's an idea I've been sitting on since I was 22. Um, and through time, I would sort of bring it out again and see what people thought about it. And, you know, there's all of these what if scenarios. Oh, it'd be a disaster because what if that? What if someone trashes the place? What if someone defaults? What if somebody, um, I don't know, has a life event where they just change their priorities, gets married, has a baby, they want to, they want to get out of the place? And so I, I started with writing a list of all the possible objections to this model um, and concept. And some of those I could solve on my own and some of them I needed legal help to solve them. It took me three years to find the right lawyers to work with. And when we did, it was incredible because, you know, there are, there are some brilliant lawyers out there who are incredibly um, solution-oriented and great problem solvers. Yeah. And there there are many lawyers who I'm sure we've all come across um, who all, you know, they, they're hardwired to see risk and, and avoid and prevent that. Yeah. Right? Which is their job. So, um, you know, I was able to find some lawyers who we've partnered up with 
called Lolab, and um, they happen to also be Australia's leading conveyances, and they're national, and they have an entirely digital journey. So I felt like I hit the jackpot with them. And again, they, they came about through an introduction through somebody else and it was one of those have a chat you never know yeah. <laughs> and it led to a partnership um so i would say finding the right lawyers to work with to get the right legal framework was the biggest hurdle hmm. i think that is brilliant advice and also not to just think because you've met one or two and they haven't been interested it doesn't mean that your idea is wrong it doesn't mean that what you're trying to achieve is wrong it just means that like people you'll have had plenty of people saying don't quit your day job you know don't do this it's risky and lawyers will be exactly the same and i agree yeah. one of my sons is a lawyer and they're very yeah they're, they see the negative perspective which is which is good when when the negative happens you need that uh but you yeah. also someone uh you know just to keep trying you'll find the right person i'm assuming you also needed to learn a lot about the industry and licenses and all of that did you have to do courses or do you just team up with people who or do you just learn about it? How, how does that all work? Yeah, it's it's a mix. I've consumed a lot of content, lots of podcasts, talking to people. Talking to people by far has been the best to learn all the little little bits and pieces. Um, I, I've looked into different types of licensing, whether I should get my real estate agent's license and, you know, different things. And I ended up not because I felt like a lot of the content in there was not going to serve what I was doing. And so I've made the conscious choice that as a connector of services, I didn't need it need it so i would really just partner with the right people who had that knowledge yeah. um because there's so many aspects to this right like you've got you've got the property part you've got financial services part you've got the tech as well um so you kind of can't get deep into everything it ends up being a lot of rabbit holes but you need to know how it all relates and ask the right questions so you become a bit more of a coordinator and joining the dots yeah. and connecting all the pieces together right which is that ceo managing director positioning right and that's why mm. i asked you because i know a lot of people who um i might be doing my startup incubator or scale up suddenly go well I, how how do i become an expert at all areas and that's one of the things you don't have to mm. be you have to know enough that you have yes. confidence in your overviewing of your business but you therefore recruit. So when you recruit someone, yes, you do need to know about what they're doing and how to measure that, but you don't need to have the depth. That's why you've recruited that person for that reason, for that time. But that's the same, isn't it? When you're in corporate, when you're managing director of Blackmores, that's exactly right. You rely on other people's expertise. And the risk is when you don't, you know, you're not confident about what they actually do or how long it takes and things like that, but you can learn that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is where time is and experience is great because you, over time, you learn to really trust your gut and your instincts. And when you're younger, you may question that and you think, oh, they're smarter than me. They all know more than me. They must be right. But as you get older, you back yourself a lot more on your instincts. And even if you're not technically deep in an area. So the one thing that was challenging for me was coming from a profession and an industry where I did have the technical depth. So yeah. I could I could go head to head with anyone in a scientific role, right? Before. Yeah. And now I can't do that. So that is a little frustrating. But even when you can do that, once you get to senior roles, you shouldn't necessarily. Yeah. You should ask the right questions, but you have to trust your teams to be those experts. Um, so you've got to pull back anyway, right? otherwise you're just going to end up demotivating a whole lot of people so um it's exactly. more that you, yeah you start to get a real feel for when people are 
not just coming straight out and saying, oh, I don't know, I'll look into it. Like, I have no issues with I don't know. And what I always say to people, you know, any of my teams have always said, I will always treat good news and bad news the same. I will mm-hmm. react in exactly the same way. But no news or lie to me and we will have a problem. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Then we'll have a big problem. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I think when you when you don't have the depth on everything, um, it's it's totally okay. And I mean, I think most people know this by now, but it's totally okay to not know and to learn. And so I just approach everything with if I didn't quite understand something, I don't feel silly about asking. I don't feel silly about diving deeper or can you just hang on, what does that mean? Why would that be? Or what's that perspective? And getting the people who have been in the industry a long time to share their knowledge with me. Um, and people generally love to help you. I find it's people are really generous with their knowledge and time. I love the way you've actually said that because I say that and it, it surprises people. People automatically seem to think, oh, I won't bother them. They're a very important person. They're a very busy person. And I know even as a CEO uh, for the last 12 years, it's almost like every second phone call I get, they say, oh, I'm so sorry to have interrupted you or I know you're busy. They preface it with that. Whereas the reality is actually not that, you know. The reality is, no, I've actually designed my my space so that I am available for calls that are, are meaningful and appropriate. And so, therefore, that's exactly what we experience. You can just ask, you know, what's the worst thing? They can say no or you can ask them for five minutes and they'll end up giving you 10 or 15 or maybe only five, but you can catch up again. It's amazing I constantly get impressed, actually, by how, you know, helpful other people are, you know. So, yeah. yeah. How how have you approached then um, developing your team, going from a corporate where you've had a lot of staff to then being in that solopreneur phase and then requiring? Mm. Have you consulted? uh, Have you contracted people? Have you bought on a team? How have you approached that whole thing and have you done it very differently than you would have if you are in a bigger organisation? You know, I've taken a lot of the learnings from my corporate life because even though I was in a large organisation, I ran quite a few small markets. So I started as a general manager in New Zealand and then was in Singapore and managed a few markets in Southeast Asia. But then when we moved um, to Japan, um, that was a startup within Bayer. So we didn't have a consumer health business. So I was the first person there and it was a lean startup model. So I actually... And after that, I got bigger roles, right, and bigger organisations. But it's not actually too different. I've taken a lean resourcing model, so meaning everything I can do myself, I will do, which which gets broader and broader in the sense that, like, before, like, there's a lot of technical digital marketing things or, and I'll call it integrating, but it's probably not the right word, but even just hooking up, you know, this bit of software with that bit of software. You learn how to do it. It's extremely time-consuming when you're learning, um, but you sort of feel so proud of yourself once something, you know, you hit that button and you try it and it works. So there's been all sorts of things like that that I'll, I'll have a go at, and then when I feel like, okay, no, that's too technical for me, um, then I'll, I'll outsource it. So I have a third-party team, um, outsource team, who do the development because I can't code, although yeah. I've entertained the idea of learning how to code, but that's probably ridiculous, but still entertaining the idea. I love it. Um, And so, you know, for example, development of outsourced. um, And there's other some elements of marketing, like search engine optimization, technical, I've outsourced. um, So even though I know the principles of it, 
you know, yeah. I, I don't necessarily know how to do the technical part of it. And that's pretty much it. And so I've actually put together a resourcing plan for which of the roles I'll hire, I will hire first yeah. and what that whole financial model looks like with the resourcing and what sort of revenue hurdles we need to be hitting before we can. So the plan is there and the idea is to resource lean, outsource flexibly um, and then hire the more permanent roles as we grow and then bring things in-house as, as we can afford to do that on a more sustainable way, sort of, you know, permanent way. Yeah, I love that. Very, very savvy. And that that is, um, that's interesting, isn't it, that a lot of people think it's so different, whereas that's right, big businesses, they're just scaled businesses. They're just mm. bigger, bigger to manage, but the principles are actually the same, that you're always trying to reduce your expenses, you know, bring in as maximum revenue, get the best return on everything that you do. So it's kind of like get once you've done it from a micro level and you're savvy, when you're an entrepreneur, you have to become extremely savvy and sharp about every single decision. So I think it fine tunes you that you can then, you know, lean into that and then just develop and grow and um, so valuable. How, what has been the difference of you on your attitude to customer service? I know you're very passionate oh. about customer service, right? And that, that, I just live for my customer. I want them to be raving fans. I want them to be so happy with the decision they made to go with me yeah. for this opportunity. How is that? Has that changed? Has it always been yes. there and I get to do it or is it different now? It's totally changed. So I would have, if you'd asked me before, I would have thought I was customer focused, but it's nothing like I am now. I can tell you when you're in a larger company and, you know, I used to be in these roles like medical roles where I was on the phones to patients and um, but it's still reactive because they call you because they need help or advice and you do what you can for them. Um, but it's a little bit different. And I will say now, like I put enormous pressure on myself to have a very high sense of urgency for them. So, for example, we have like these, um, like most sites do, you have a chat bot on your site. Mm -hmm. um, but on the end of that chat bot, it's not actually a bot, it's me, right? So, it's, it's, yeah. so if you type a message into that little help bubble down the bottom you're going to get me and um and it says it's me so it's not you know like pretending to be me it actually is me but i have a kpi for myself where i will respond to all um inquiries within one minute and close them out with that within the hour right that's kind of the the metrics that i've put on myself because i want to help people while they're on the site in their moment of need yeah. Whereas I think when you're in the corporate environment, you sort of think, oh, as long as you get back to people within 24 hours, that's okay. Um, yeah. And maybe it's even longer for some, you know, companies and cultures that might be within a week. Um, I do find the sense of urgency in Australia is different from through Asia. Um, quite different. It's much faster through Asia. Like it's, it's a bit of a different dynamic and speed. Um, but, you know, for sure, like I will drop everything for a customer now. Whereas, it was harder to balance that in the corporate world. Plus, mm. I wasn't actually responsible for interfacing with customers. Mm. So any customer interface that I had was more a scheduled meeting or a business review. Um, you know, and when I say customer, it would have been like a pharmacy retailer or, yeah. you know, a gross like Woolworths or something, right, or Kenware House. It's not um, like someone who's to... actually dreaming of having a house and living in it. No. You're fulfilling someone's dreams, right? I mean, yeah. this is a different dream that you're, you know, for those listening from overseas, Aussies love having their own home. We call it our <laughs> castle. And uh, so it's a very big foundational 
dream, I suppose, for Aussies. So that's the difference, isn't it? When you're yeah. you're actually when that person's typing in, they're like, should I do this big big decision, huge decision, possibly the biggest decision that they're going to have, you know, for a very long time um, at this at this moment. And when you get back to them within a minute, it's like, oh my gosh, this is very professional. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because it's almost like you can't get enough. Um, I can't get enough of communicating with customers. Like, like if I were to say, like in the corporate world, probably the customer's sense of urgency would have been greater than me or the company. Yeah. But yeah. now I feel like my sense of urgency will run faster than the customers. So yeah. I know they've got their whole life that they're living. You know, but yeah. I, I feel like they're. I ru I will run faster than them, which yeah. means. Um, I have to be careful that I'm not over, when I say over-servicing, that I'm not bothering them as well, right, that I'm there for them when they need me but not sort of too much. <laughs> it's a fine line, isn't it? My husband yeah. does, he runs an online training program and, and, and someone will enrol in the course and he goes, and oh, instead of emailing them back and welcoming them, he gets on the phone and you can hear him like in the other room. The other person's obviously got such a surprise. Like one minute I'm just I'm yeah. And then suddenly this real person rings me, and um, they're not expecting it these days, right? It's yeah. just like, wow, what incredible customer service! Yeah, uh, amazing, absolutely amazing. Oh, so, for those of you, so for those people who are now starting up, there's a lot of people who are in my network in the Women's Business Incubator and the Women's Business Tribe who are like, I've just turned my side hustle into a, a you know, a startup. I've, I've now, you know, in that wave of doing everything and I am passionate, I'm super passionate about what I'm doing and I'm getting a bit exhausted. You've been through that phase. You've been through the, oh, my gosh, I'm doing everything. And then you're now, I love what you said before, that you now have prioritised what you're going to outsource first. So you have to do that stage which is just exhausting uh and then you outsource what 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 advice would you share with those people listening in of well what sort of things what decisions would you make in the timing that you choose to do that um if a lot of that whether you can outsource is going to come down to what fixed cost base you can manage right mm -hmm. on a monthly basis so you know in startup world you always talk about the burn rate so what is the um the monthly payments that you are going to need to be able to make. I, I think it's really important to only pay for what you absolutely must because what I find is there's so many companies out there who want to help you, but a lot of them have dollar signs in their eyes. So you have to be quite ruthless about what you are prepared to pay for and what you're not, especially with tech and different tech services that exist. So even as simple as if you want to create um, a fillable form from a PDF, like that's just an example from last week, and you end up on these sites and you check out all the pricing and whatnot, and um, it's not very transparent, so you go, all right, I'll give it a go, and you turn this PDF, you might spend 30 minutes turning it into a form, and then you go to hit publish, and then they try to charge you. Like it's really frustrating, um, but in that moment, you have to decide with my time worth that or not. And the thing with a startup is you do need to take a little bit of a mindset of your time is not as valuable as it might have been before, right? Mm. And what I mean by that is, yes, your time is valuable, but you've got to be prepared to put in more time for mundane, tedious things that you may not have been paid to do before, you know? Yes. And, and, and so you don't have the luxury of just paying for this and that. So I think you have to be very frugal with where you do spend. Things like office space, don't pay for it if you don't need it. It's going to end up being a fixed cost. 
right? Exactly. Every month that doesn't return, like meet up in a coffee shop somewhere. So, you know, and people might have different reasons, but I think you just have to really think through what are the things you need. Like there was someone recently who said she, um, I call it, invested in a, in a co-working space to help her with the motivation and whatnot, which I think that could be good if it helps you with that, as you were describing, get up in the morning, go use the space. But there's going to be a point where that becomes normal and you're not yes. getting the motivation from it. And yeah. are you interacting with other people in that co-working space? I know it depends on the space. Um, so I think you just have, I do think you have to be really ruthless about where you spend so that you don't run out later. And if you need to then make adjustments or pull back or something's not working, it's really easy to do that because you don't have all these commitments. So I think, right, right. I think being able to run long and it's that endurance is is so critical in a startup. Like, don't waste money on business cards and letterheads, and you don't need them. <laughs> exactly, all that pretty stuff. I've learned that myself. You get very excited about all those sorts of you know shiny objects, as we call them. And at the end of the day, that's right. No one asked me for a business card. No one a letterhead or this or that, whatever. So they're all nice, but it's actually I agree. It's what are the essential ingredients, and you just do what you need at that time. I love that advice that you shared about the working spaces, and I do the I exactly the same. If you need to meet someone, you can actually either do a coffee shop or you can even go to those share places and just get a room for an hour for a half day. You can book a meeting day once a week if that's the type of business you've got, and then the rest of it from the five-day commit is a lot and that's right when you have a change you get excited about the change but you do at a period of time it becomes normalized uh so that whenever you make those big decisions i think it's also about not committing for too long right because mm -hmm. that could be for three months to six months to get you over something and then you yeah might have changed or other businesses i'm working with that you know they're you know i've got one business that's doubling has doubled in the last six months just because of the industry that they're in so they actually had to completely change office space because they how what a great problem to have but it is a problem if you've signed up for a long lease right you've got those fixed costs you're going to break things so absolutely uh stellar advice there on how to actually yeah just just trim the trim the trim the fat i suppose or not even just not 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 in not over investing too early uh yeah. is wonderful wonderful advice yeah the other thing you know what that's helped me i will say there's a couple of things is when you work when you are outsourcing things so if you're looking at outsourcing some of your digital marketing or google ads or social media um set a fixed term contract so you don't put yourself in that situation of having that awkward termination discussion and sometimes <laughs> you might not be terminating because they're not good you it, it just might be that you can't be doing a permanent arrangement so yeah. like I'll generally start with a three-month trial and then if it goes really well and you sit, start to see how hungry they are um, mm. then you can maybe then go for a six-month block but give yourself the option to be able to renew rather than have to terminate because that can be very stressful to have on your mind if you need to have that conversation the second the second advice I would have for anybody is if you are going to work with anybody, whether you're paying vendors or working with influencers, one rule I've applied for everything is I will only work with people who love property. If you don't love property and I can't see that, I'm not working with you. Because um, what it means is it comes through in their work, it comes through in the way they prioritise. Um, if they are an influencer, it will absolutely come through in the way they come across and you know, how much bonus airtime you get because if they love yeah. your product, they'll talk about it and their followers will see that. Um, 
and you just get so much more from it um even that coming back to that energy bit so because they start to become an extension of you and as your team so even though i haven't hired people yet i very much have a team around me and i draw on their energy and their excitement so as a solopreneur that absolutely keeps me going and i look forward to those weekly calls i have with those um partners that i work with because yeah I do feel like we're in it together. And I think that's really important. Just only work with people who love what you stand for and love your product or, or brand. <laughs> Absolutely. And keep them nice and close. And others, you can still be friendly, but their advice isn't helpful. Um, it doesn't need to be entertained. You can just agree to disagree. It doesn't add oxygen to, to what you're doing, right? Uh, I yeah. think that's absolutely stellar. Uh, yeah and so so you've deliberately even though you're a solopreneur what you're sharing is you've actually got a group of people so there might be mentors advisors people maybe in or out of the industry who support you is that what you're saying yeah well actually it's more like so for example the development team like we meet once a week and yep. even though they're there to fulfill a role i'll still use them as a sounding board yeah um so i do have it's funny, like with the mentors and whatnot, I don't have any formal arrangement, but having been in the corporate world, I have many friends, right? Yeah. So, um, and very senior, like ex-general managers and whatnot. And so we're good friends. So we we talk all the time and um, they serve that role and they say, oh, well, have you thought about this or what about that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So I get that out of yeah. my network of friends, sort of, let's call them corporate friends, because they have be, they do become friends when you work with people, right? Um, and you oh, absolutely. That I'm always chemistry. with friends. I'm yeah. Always, you know, that's right. It's not as if you're best of colleagues, you've got all these X factor that makes your role or your team fantastic, and then they expect it to go, and then suddenly you're not friends anymore. It's like you don't have to be best friends, but you certainly develop long-standing friendships and relationships. And I think that's a yeah. good point to touch on, actually, because... They're relationships that you want to keep going. You know, that's where you get the breadth of relationships and expertise and insight. Sometimes it's people who are in a different space who are seeing things from the prism that they're in, in their industry. But that also can be helpful when you get into tunnel vision in yours, you know. And so yeah. I'm all into touching base, even if it's on LinkedIn, just for a coffee, just for an occasional how you're going and to stay in each other's sort of um, areas uh, that is, you know when you suddenly got that question burning you know it's great to put it out to it's a classic phone a friend right of like well, what yeah. the situation and uh, and you can then mull it over yeah yeah even you know I've found that it's been because when you go out and you leave a company and people go oh how's it going it's very tempting to always just respond back with oh yeah it's great you know yeah but Lately, I've found it very useful to just share the challenges and say, look, I'm really frustrated at this, this and this. And they jump into help mode. It's amazing. <laughs> and they say, oh, my gosh, okay, you need to talk to my friend, right, this person. So one guy I had coffee with who I worked with, um, he's a marketing director at Blackmores and he's left now. But he hooked me up with two of his best mates. And one was a guy who played Monopoly with in his basement when he was, you know, a kid. And another one he went through school with. And I went back to him and I said, do you know what your friends do? Because he didn't sell them very well. He just said, oh, they're tech gurus. I think you need to meet with them. And I met with them. And I said, your friends are really amazing and they can help me. Like they, yeah. do you, and I don't think he had any idea how, how good they were at what they do. And they've built these companies and they know so much, right? Have so much expertise. Mm -hmm. And that was amazing. So I think 
not sort of pretending to kind of, yeah, it's all great and living the startup life world and whatnot. You can, yeah. I mean, you know, you don't have to go into everything, but if you don't want to, but people will help you even more. Yeah, mm. you can just be real and authentic and you have great days and you have challenging days. You have days where you don't work too hard and a lot things just happen you work other days you're working super hard and nothing's happening you know it's a roller coaster of emotion and I think people need to realize yeah. that it's a lot of hard work in, in particularly in the early phases and it's all yeah. right to actually go and that's why I love having these authentic conversations with people because it actually shows people yeah like that's right even people that you think are just like super amazing they're all having challenges because they're just working at a different level of scalability or business size right so we've got the growth and scale sort of issues happening and everyone will have them so i think the more um the more authentic we are in in just how we ride the ebbs and flows of business and have these conversations absolutely the better i love what you said about ambassadors too and the people in your business um absolutely make sure that they're all switched on for you that's been a lesson that i've learned and, and now i'm all into the culture i'm all into you've just got to be in because it's not as if everyone has to be in or like it but if they're in your space particularly an employee or an ambassador for a role mm -hmm. or something like that it's got to be genuine because people are savvy, right? You just can feel the energy or you can feel the disconnect mm -hmm. within a company. Um, and I've worked and I know from even working and sometimes you just walk into to the door of some companies you go, there's something just not right there. That you just don't feel the same energy or and they're the ones who are often slow or they're not as helpful. They won't tell you someone else can help you. They'll just go, no, we don't do that um, and those sorts of things. So customer service-wise, which you have to do yeah. at that point, it's just a joy when everyone's switched on and they put your punch above your weight right like you just really see how amazing things can be made possible mm -hmm. oh fantastic i am super looking forward to our book coming out uh it's going to be coming out in september a woman's guide to business domination uh and your chapter what's your chapter title going to be again ayumi so I think um, the title was around specifying your market, but I've rejigged it a little bit. Um, I can't remember the exact wording, but it's all around like why going smaller can make for bigger business. Yeah. Um, so the, the theming within there is all around being very clear on what you're doing and who you're doing it for and sticking to your guns on that. Um, because I, and I, I find this now and I found it all the way through even my corporate career is you know, when you launch a product or have a proposition that you're trying to sell to a, a segment of consumers, if you're not absolutely clear, of, and I will call it the niche, if you're not clear on the niche who you're trying to serve, um, you end up being nothing to anybody, right? And it's very tempting in business where, you know, you do all your business cases and you look at all the numbers and it all goes into Excel spreadsheets and management or whoever always want to go for the bigger numbers and the bigger business case and one thing i always say it's very hard to move numbers out of an excel spreadsheet and into a bank account and if you want to do that you've got to be very clear about who you're serving and be very tight and specific about that and only when you've had success in that core area do you even consider expanding because you know i've been pushed in my roles at different times to expand faster go for bigger markets make things more relevant to more people at once, which if you do that, you dilute your proposition. Even now I, I get pushed with property, right, um, with different people saying you should do this and you should do that. No, you have to go broader. You've got to, there's more people who want to buy whole properties. Do that, not co. And it's like, 
well, anyone can do that. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. 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 I mean, we, we're here to help first-time buyers, or not even first-time buyers, people who want to get into the property market. So you might have bought before, but you're not in now, and you need to get in and you need a stepping stone. And oh. buying a half a property is the way in. That's who we're serving, right? That's Absolutely. it. Absolutely. That is it. And I just absolutely love that. This, this video will be put placed permanently in my startup incubator program about that very much. But I'm wondering which module to put it in, actually, because I was going to put it in your customer experience. But I actually go, unique value proposition is what people need to nail. You know, you're here to solve someone's problem. What is that niche problem? If you don't do the niche problem solving um you know, for most of your business and how do you, and in a consistent way, how do you then go down other tunnels and expand? And it's really tempting when you get an offer. I know, mm -hmm. I know some businesses, but you could do that and you go, yeah, I possibly could, but then it's going to, you know, dilute. So it's only great if you're, if you're comfortable and you've got the bandwidth to then employ more people and expand your mm -hmm. business but actually knowing what your core business is. And, and I know after having you on my program before, having you in my book, uh, checking out your website, your pinpoint on what you actually do for market. And now, you know, the listeners can hear you've got such fantastic customer service. You're there to meet their needs. Uh, that's what it's all about. That's why, you know, you will excel as an entrepreneur because you've got to go above and beyond. You know, you've got to be pleasantly surprising. People just go, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Well, what a great testimony is that for um, a product to to market and uh, so yeah I wish you well in all of your future success Ayumi and um, I thank you so much for being on my program today. Thanks Annie it's been a delight as usual. <laughs> as usual and everyone you know I have the women's business incubator and the women's business tribe so if you are thinking of starting up a business scaling it up or even learning how to dominate in business with a seven-figure mindset the sort of thinking that women like Naomi and I have because of our corporate roles and experience then definitely drop by womensbizincubator.com if you're also if you're in one of those programs you automatically become part of the women's biz tribe but if you're not yet hey just drop by womensbiztribe.com and get a free trial for a month or so come along to all of our meetings it's then only $10 a week the best value um coaching you're ever going to get around the world for a specific reason that I'm all about equity uh, and equality for women globally. So come on board, come and say hello to onto my um, platforms. Definitely reach out with Ayumi. Definitely buy the book as soon as it comes up. You'll get lots of promotions from me about that. And also reach out at proppy.com.au. Reach out to Ayumi if you'd love to connect with her. You're, you can almost test her. Go and do a little web chat and see if she gets back to you within a minute. Not while she's on my show, but she will all the rest of the time. Uh, she'll be able to talk to you about your needs in the property market market yeah absolutely um golden career that you're having and i just love it i love the innovation i love your the way you think and i love the way you provide incredible value to people in your niche so well done you thanks so much